Welcome to the third episode of Fanboys. I'm here with Tomek. Hello, Tomek. Good morning, Steve. We are going to cover this week Texas Relays, which is super cool. Also, the World Indoor Championships that happened the weekend prior. Um, and I'm sure we'll cover a wide variety of other topics as we are wont to do. I think the main thing we wanted to do is just gush a little bit about how Texas Relays was so just amazing. Track and field is definitely back, it feels like. Um, Tomek, you had some numbers that you had noticed. Tell us a little bit about, about what was going on at Texas Relays this weekend. Yeah, follow, you know, Texas Sports um, uh, Track and Field on Twitter. And yesterday they, they um, showed the graphic of um, total attendance and it was uh, 50,000 people. through 50,000? Uh, that's right. Wow. Through, through four days um, of relays. So Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And and, and Friday and Saturday, both days, 20,000 people. You know, I, I don't know how many people the stadium can hold, but I'm guessing that's pretty much full. It must have been full. I was driving. I didn't actually get to go this year. I drove by at one point in time looking down on the overpass, down onto, this, onto the track. You can't really see the track perfectly, but, I mean, there was a lot of people there. And then there was a lot of stars too, which is which is so cool to see. I'm guessing a head coach, Texas coach, attracts uh, some um, some pro athletes that are in town and training full time. I think so, and he also coaches some pro athletes. I think That's some right. of them may have left and gone to other places, but he has been uh, on a really good jumps and hurdles coach for many many years. He's coached some of the best in the world. He's coached Olympians. I think he's coached gold medalists, at least Olympians. World record holder. I know Kenny Harrison. Is That's there. right, Kenny Harrison. And then he, but also there's a lot of local elite, there's a lot of elite sprinters, especially that live in this area. Yeah, well, it was a Gabby, Gabby, uh, what's Gabby Thomas. Gabby Thomas, yeah. And she trains in Pflugerville. She lives in Pflugerville. Oh, she, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, the former sprint coach at the University of Texas, um, I'm forgetting her name right now. She was at Illinois before, but she still coaches pros in locally. So, plus you've got Texas A&M right down the street. So, That's a right. thing Mo ran on yeah. anchor leg on the four by four. It was really interesting. The collegiate athletes ran faster than the pros ran um, in the four by four, but that's typical given that's right. number one, the amount of time they work together on exchanges where they are in their seasons in terms of just coming off of an indoor national championship. So the peaking phases are a little bit different for them. So and it really unfolded perfectly because, you know, Wednesday and Thursday here in town was, was perfect for distance. You know, the evenings were crisp and cold. So we, we saw some, some, Fairly fast times with, with our pace pacemakers, I, I would say, and then and then weekend came and it was so windy, you know, like the sprints had three point some wins. So, but uh, you know, we were talking about relays and four four hundred. That's pretty hard to run to the stiff wind. No? Yeah, it is, <laughs> and you have to. That race is not one in which you can strategically sit behind. You have to take the bull by the horns and use whatever energetics are going on at that moment. By that, I mean like where the baton is moving through the space and how they've positioned each of their legs. And some of these these coaches at the collegiate level will use a Texas Relays where there's a lot of high energy and um, low stakes, so super high visibility, but low stakes in terms of what will happen in order to play with their order. So they'll shift their but their or, normal order of their of their or they'll throw an 800 meter runner on or they'll put a 100 meter on runner on they'll do things coming out of an indoor national especially when you think about the caliber of um everyone wants to come to texas relays this year was especially having the men one having won the national title the women being in the hunt for the national title 
they're just doing track and field right at the University of Texas now. Um, it's just an exciting time, and it hasn't been that way for a while. Even when I was coaching there, I feel like the level of excitement around the country for what's going on at Texas is very high. And I think it's because they have a combined program now. You know, it's it's much harder when you have a, a, a separated program. We've got two very strong personality coaches, and they're not, they were at odds. You know, Bubba Thornton and Coach Bev Kearney were at odds with each other throughout their careers, um, constantly bickering and fighting over resources. And, <clears throat> and Bev had such a high visibility, um, and Bubba was always such a, behind the scenes political mover and shaker um but you know it's uh it's a really cool thing and then you just think about i mean the big 12 in terms of four by fours on the women's and the men's side it's just i mean you look at the finals of the ncaa championships and there's two or three big 12 teams in there every single time uh they're just unbelievable but the other events that you know the, the key for me the one the one event i was really happy to see was an impressive performance from Jonathan Jones, the Texas 800-meter runner. He ran a 145.8, which is really, really fast for this time of year, coming off of um, a disappointing result at the NCAA championships where he felt like, I think he felt like he probably could have done a little bit better, could have made it happen a little bit better. But um, still, it, it, it's just showing how, how, how great. They had beautiful weather on that Thursday. They run that race on a Thursday. They had unbelievably good weather. So the sun was out, but the temperature was probably 80 degrees, so it wasn't too hot. Um, there wasn't a lot of wind that day. It was a little bit less wind. And the distance races went pretty well, too. Um, we saw some a, a fast 5K times for the men. Um, not so fast in the other events, but um, it was really good. It was a good weekend, and Texas Relays is sort of the – it's not the start of the outdoor season, but it just feels like the start of the outdoor season. Having been an athlete who competed at the Texas Relays and then also a coach who for many years was trying to position my – conference level and then national level athletes to try to parlay them into something that they could do at Texas Relays that would be fun, interesting, but not too much. Um, also coming off of a lot of times Texas Relays is coming off right off of spring break where kids have, where people have been traveling. So you got the NCAA championship spring break and then right into Texas Relays. The timing of it is a kind of a unique thing for the collegiate athletes. But yeah, Texas Relays, 50,000 viewers, 20,000 on Friday and Saturday. That means 20,000 people took off of work to come and watch Texas Relays. Uh, just, I think the weather was, you know, when in Austin, when the weather is like this in April, it is, March, this is why March, so much. It's March still. March still, yeah. But this is why so many people want to move here, right? Because <laughs> it's, right. we just had the wet, the kind of weather that just, now we're going to have the weather in April and May and June where people are like, ooh. When they have the NCAA championships here, the distance runners are always really grumpy because they have to run the races at 9 or 10 o'clock at night in order to get the weather to cool down. And even then, it doesn't get down below 80 degrees. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, we just wanted to pub our local, our local scene here. So That's right. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited because it was fun because, you know, you know, local grocery stores, you can see people. Um, local Whole Foods, you know, uh, you, you can see a bunch of athletes picking up lunch and you're like, wait, why are so many fit athletes? I mean, people walking around. Oh, okay. Texas Relays. So cool. You know, because uh, last couple of years was really kind of not, not that. So, and I'm excited because that means next we'll, we'll move, you know, to California and then we have all the distance races, you know, Stanford Invite and, and Monsac and whatnot. So I already kind of uh, 
uh, looked up and I think next weekend that's already happening um, at Stanford so uh, we're gonna we're gonna be seeing some some cool stuff but um, yeah and so so w well but maybe we should we should talk a little bit about indoor yes yeah well, it's over now but <laughs> yeah, uh, <I> <laughs> uh, we had such a fun time this year at indoors we had such a great conference meet and then the national men the NCAA national meet which we talked about the last time was such so intriguing we didn't actually we recorded that before we um, we recorded it on a Saturday after the distance DMR and then the um, 5,000, and we didn't really get to talk that much about the other events. But um, but anyway, it was it, it, indoor Nash and it, world indoors was also phenomenal. I got to watch a good bit of that. How much did you get to, go to watch a good bit of it too? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I did because you know as. as and uh, you may know it's 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 been a stream and it's on demand on Peacock. And so these days, if you, if you have uh, most people probably have access because that was old NBC or something, and and uh, a lot of people subscribe for for movies and shows. And but you know it's there, so it's it's pretty cool because even if you can watch live, you can just come back and rewind and re watch again or fast forward. And uh, so yeah, I watched I watched it all. And then in some cases there. They, I, when I watched it, they had not yet broken the races up. To have they broken the races up since? I guess I'll, I'll know that when I go check to put this, whatever I need to put into the show notes. I don't think they do, but um, no, I don't think they break break them. You, I open on the, my computer one window with the timetable, so I know, you know, what... Uh, when we put the timetable so you can find your races, you know, from, yep. from World Athletics website. Yeah, cool. So tell me your highlights. What were you? What were your highlights of the of the meet? Um, I would say distance races, two three k races. You know, men and women uh, was not the same because women didn't have a prelims and ended up running like thirty some women on on a uh, you know small track. So that was that was like okay, uh, a little bit too many, and that was a lot of changing positions. So it was always like oh. You know, you are close. Oh, you know, because I had my my. You know, uh, there were a couple of Americans and 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 Canadian that I was cheering for, and and uh, so I was like, oh, she's closed. Oh no, she's up. Oh no, she's closed. You know, like we're indoor, constantly changing, and um, so that was fun. And um, you know, Eli Pierre was ended up taking silver, so that was that was so cool to see. Um, she timed that. She she executed that race beautifully. She obviously learned from her lack of success at the US championships in the mile where she led from the front and kept trying to change gears and keep people off of her shoulder. She And she didn't time it quite right. She had um, Heather McLean and um, who was the other? Oh, she was Alicia. Oh, you mean on the US? No, yeah, on, at the US championships. Oh, Josette Norris. Yeah, Josette Norris and, and um, Heather McLean kind of got to sit back a little bit. Um, actually, there were four or five women in that race as they were running along. Um, so I think that Ellie learned a lot from that US championship race. And I don't know if you noticed when they finished, um, which, by the way, Ellie just timed it perfectly and it looked like she might even be able to get a win out of it and i think when i saw her come across the finish line in, in those moments after the race tomek you could tell she was disappointed i think she thought she could win that race i think it was not even just in the in the execution of the race itself because she executed a pretty near perfect race um she just couldn't beat the ethiopian you just couldn't get beyond her she couldn't get past her so but 
she did everything she could possibly do to run that race well. I think she just was a little frustrated that she thought maybe in beforehand she thought she could win it, which is a really good sign when you're thinking about what's going on into outdoors and thinking about the 1500 for her outdoors, that she's in a position where she feels like, hey, I should be running with the best in the world and I should be looking to win a national ti- a world title. That's really good news looking forward to Eugene. Yeah, absolutely. You're right. I mean, they closed last K in like 2.40, so that's 4 minutes 1,500 pace, you know? So you can't get any faster than that. And, uh, you know, and she beat a uh, couple uh, Ethiopians that were way better PRs and also um, um, Canadian, the, the Buse Stafford, you know? That just was phenomenal indoor uh, prior to world championships. She, she I, I think she was fourth. Yeah, she was fourth. So mm-hmm. that, you know, uh, great, great championships for for um ellie but you know i was cheering for alicia monson and and you know i i heard you know if if they did have prelims that probably would favor her she's more 10k 10k 5k uh, runner so um she she got a good showing too you know seventh place i think um that she she runs for on athletic the dayton Ratingham group in boulder colorado so that's a fun group you know um to follow and that's why also, you know, for me then was 3K men that was uh, featured George Beamish, mm-hmm. the New Zealander, you know, he's all this handsome, long hair, um, beautiful form running <laughs> guy, came through Northern Arizona program. Um, and, and he's uh, a New Zealander, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, so they they had prelims and, and um, he was phenomenal in the premi- prelims, you know, just just. They call them um, typical George race, which is which is sit and kick really mm-hmm. hard, you know. But um, then in the final was was again was just a lot of shuffling. The, the field was so good, you know. The there were um, Olympic medalists in in gold medalists in 10k uh, steeplechase and 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 5k, you know. And and um, there was Bowerman, Mark Scott, and um, who else was there from America? Um, a, a guy I hadn't heard of. Oh before. yeah, because the two or three guys couldn't come, right? Um, I think his last name is Magard. Yes, yes. Um, he looked really good, actually. He, he ran a really, he really did. good race. I thought. I thought he did the best he could when you consider the class of the field. The level of that field was unbelievably good. That race was very interesting to watch because Tomek and I have a love-hate relationship with the gentleman who won the race. He, he and I have been talking about this guy for years and um, just love him, but also love to hate him. Um, this is uh, Solomon Borrega. The way he races is uh, just incredibly unique. He likes to wait and kick a lot of times, but then when he won the gold medal in the 10,000, he ran from the front and snuck away. I think we might've talked about that before, but it was really, uh, he was the class of that field. And when he went, it was over. Um, It was no competition and he just looked so incredibly strong doing it. Uh, But I was really impressed um, with Ali Orr, though, I thought he ran a really. Oh, that was in the fifteen. Sorry, that was in the fifteen. But they, I just thought that that fought, that that three thousand race was just the one clear runner, in my opinion, who just looked better than everybody else. And it wasn't like the race didn't run really well. I mean, it was it was fast, and Mark Scott ran an unbelievable race in his race and it's worth watching and I'll make sure I link to the video for it but he keeps looking like he's out of it but he keeps fighting to get put in it and he is not the most beautiful runner I mean he's got good mechanics 
um, from the waist down, but upper body, he works a lot. He, and he, again, he's another 10,000 meter runner guy. And he's not like Borrego, who's a, you know, a three, five guy who just decided to run the uh, 10,000. That's how Borrega is. Borrega can run the 15 through the 10. Um, Mark Scott's not a, he's a 10K guy, right? And I thought he put up an unbelievable race. It's again, another Jerry Schumacher performance coming through at when it matters at a very, very high level and super impressed by that race that Mark Scott ran. Um, I mean, he got beat by two gold medalists. The, the the second guy Wale I believe he's a steeplechase he, he was second oh he was second El Bacali oh right? that's right yeah. yeah yeah but he he had actually better PR and yeah he's just the steeplechaser that kind of it's very raw you know <laughs> but he he's also like you know crazy fast um, seven twenty five or something yeah and day. he made that race he did everything he possibly could in that race to um shake Borrega off you could tell from them that they were not um working together necessarily i think early on they might have been working together a little bit but once they got to 600 meters out three laps to go you could tell while was trying to do what he could do to get rid of Borrega and it just wasn't possible and that race if you want to watch um you know, when you watch outdoors, if you're if you're a track and field fan and you've only watched outdoor races, it's worth going and checking out a few of these races to see what we mean by the physicality of an indoor track and field, um, especially at the world level. It is extremely physical. And that 3K, and the women's 3K and the men's 3K were both incredibly physical. There was a lot of movement, people dropping off the back, looking like they're going to be out of the race, but, you know, then you forget it's a 200-meter track, and so that distance that you're thinking and perceiving sort of as 400 meters, and it looks like it looks like it's twice what it really is in real time, but, um, and people were able to rally back, get back into positioning. Um, it was just a really incredible, it's just so much fun to watch indoors. I always loved, and I loved racing indoors personally. I was, I'm smaller and pretty tough, so I like jockeying and I like gear changing so I like to change gears because changing gears some a lot of long distance runners don't like to do that and they're not very good at it so um yeah I, I another day where I say um another day where Borrega just is I mean he he's not quite to the level in my opinion yet of Cheptegei and um not of the, at, at the level of a you know look at thinking down to where Engebrexen is or Chariot, but maybe I should be revising that because of his results, and maybe it's just because I don't like him very much. <laughs> no, no, I, I, well, I do love him. I mean, like him because the the, the way he races and he's just kind of demeanor is it's so so kind of engaging. But uh, he, he looks like he timed it perfectly again. You know, uh, he won Olympic Games and then. He during indoor season he lost couple races in a kind of the same scenario. He was about to win and was out kicked couple times, and that was not the case during the most important race. You know, so perfect for him. I don't know where he's training, with who and which group and all of that, but that's just you know, that's different story. And so my my third race um, that I I had to pick was uh, four by four women because. Polish women took bronze medal, whoop and, whoop. <laughs> and uh, so that's that's uh, was was fun to watch. Uh, again, it's it's what what Steve mentioned about running indoor. Like you could see over and over. Like you need you you needed to know when to make a move, and you you especially in the shorter races you 
pretty much had one move, you know? Right. Because in the 400 meters or 800 meters, when you push and you had to stop because you they not let you in, you're pretty much stopping and going. And that in the short race, that's like, ooh, you know, you, you're not going to recover unless you weigh above everyone else. So that, that was the case, you know, when a Polish team, they, they have this um, uh, uh, anchor, Justyna uh, Święty, um, she um, she was fourth um, individually, you know, in the individual 400 meters, and she was just she's just beautiful. She, she you can tell she knows how to run indoor, right? She just accelerates, just not to someone go through, but then you know, holding her line and stuff. So, and they ended up on the third position behind uh, Holland, which which was anchored by uh, Femke Ball. Femke Ball's final leg was something yeah. to behold, especially given how. Poorly, I thought her 400. I mean, I thought she, I mean, she got second in the 400 to the currently the best 400 meter runner in the world without a question. And Femke Bowl is a 400 hurdler, so a lot of people didn't really expect her to beat. Um, I'm forgetting her name. What's the name of uh, the Bahamas? Bahamas, uh, but anyway, she she nobody really expected her to beat her. And I could just tell, I don't know if you noticed how nervous she was before her race, she was just so nervous. But when you watched her in the four by four, it just looked like, I mean, I kept thinking she wasn't going to win because she were, they were pretty far out of it at a point when she got the baton. They were, they were pretty far. They were a bit back. Um, I just didn't think she was going to be able to make all that ground up and make it happen. But she did. And not only that, but she accelerated off that back turn and just ran beautifully. Um, who was second in the four by four? Yeah, that was, that was Holland. And the first was Jamaica. Oh, Jamaica. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, that, that I thought that this, you know, my three favorite races for this meet, first of all, was just having, seeing Ajay Wilson get her first world championship gold medal in the 800 meters and the way she did it with such class and with such perfect strategy showing that yes, she can run from the front and she's known from running from the front, but she's just as capable running from any position on the track. Some people will say, but the key people weren't there. There weren't. Semenya and the others Kelly, because Kelly Hodgkins and yeah there wasn't Semenya and then there wasn't Kelly Hodgkinson and then that 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 because of that there were um that that she had free reign and free run but she still I don't know I mean of course everything is a little different when other people are in the race strategy is always played out by what actually happens in thinking about your intention before the race but also how it plays out during the race and maybe Keely would have done something different to upset Ajay, but it just felt like destiny in some way. Um, she was in control the whole first uh, first four or five laps, from controlling from behind, pretty pretty controlled. But then with 300 to go, she went to the front and just nobody could get anywhere near her. And when she accelerated, she kept accelerating basically every 100. Maybe they weren't exactly faster times, but you could see that she was moving very fast and she never rigged up. She... It looked like there were a couple of spots where maybe with 150 to go, 200 to 150 to go, maybe someone was going to make a, a, a run at her. They just didn't have it. Um, and it was pretty sad for Natoya Gould, who, again, has been another one of these athletes who is one of the very best 800-meter runners in the world who has not yet won a world title because she's gone through the Semenya years. And it's uh, But Natoya is a one-trick pony. She's only got one way to run a race. And I was really happy to see Ajay show the consummate strategic she's a really good strategic runner people don't always give you credit for that when you run from the front i think that was yeah that that, that was that was beautiful to see and i think 
th this race, the, the championships gave her probably huge, huge booster, you know, in, in confidence uh, that she can win, you know, S still she's not like, you know, because um, she, she did have some, some problems, I think health problems, that's why she was not up to speed you know, last year, and and you know, coming after this, being overcome by by this by, you know, by the Semenya times, and then when they finally left, she was she got hurt, you know. So it was like, oh man, like one, you know, now there was a time to perform, and I could, and 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 finally, you know, she looks like she's in a full flight. So that's awesome to see, and and you know, her, I think more, and and uh, Kelly Hutchinson, you know, they may push one another to 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 big times um, outdoor. Yeah, I think it's we're not going to see. We we know Kelly Hutchinson is not going to roll over for a thing, though. She's you can just see it and you can feel it in her vibe that she's she figured out what was going on at the world level at the Olympics. She had a great Olympic, and remember, there's another um, Great Britain athlete too who's. Oh, yeah. Jema Ricky. Yeah, and she's unbelievable as well. She's somebody who could break into the top three at the World Championship. So the women's 800 is as good as it's ever been, and it doesn't have that shadow of the Semenya thing. And just for people just to know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Castro Semenya's. She just ran 3K. Did you see that? I did. I saw she ran 8, 8.54 um, pretty fast. But I, I'm, I'm a fan of hers. I just don't think she should be running against – I just think that there's – it's a, it's a really complicated situation. It's too hard to cover. To, actually, Tomek and I covered this in another former f Fanboys episode. Um, you can go search for that if you'd like to. But we're, we're fans of Semenya. We don't feel like... We feel like it's just a tough situation. Um, but it's exciting now to have the 800 where there's not this Paul cast over the event where people are just thinking that uh, it's a foregone conclusion. These transgender athletes are going to win the race. So... Um, my second race that I was really, really excited about watching, um, well, that I thought was great was the men's four by four. They had two Americans in the four by four men did not get out of the prelims. So you might be like, well, why the heck are you talking about an event where they didn't get out of the prelims it was because, um, it, it was just unbelievable to see Isaiah Harris. He, he was given the opportunity to be the anchor leg. And I'm not sure if he was going to be the anchor leg on the, on the, in the finals. Um, I, I, I would guess that he probably was going to get pulled off of that position um, in the prelims and after the prelims. And so he, and in his race, he was getting himself perfectly positioned. It was just right where he needed to be to get through only the first, only the winning team in that DM, I mean, in that four by four got to make it through guaranteed. So it was a really crucial thing. And with about 150 meters to go, he basically looks like he has a hamstring Tear. I mean, it is it is dramatic. He goes from first. I thought he stepped on a cur on the on the curb, but when they go back and show it, he he's definitely got a muscle situation going on, and he fought all the way through the entirety of that 150 meters to get to the finish line. Unfortunately, they didn't make it through on time. But I was just thought it was so courageous. It's so rare at this level to see someone sacrifice their potential season, maybe even career, given where Isaiah Thomas, I mean, where, where Isaiah Thomas, where Isaiah Harris is in his, you know, in his career. Um, he's, you know, he's not old, but, you know, he's in his late 20s. And so he, and, and he's he moved. Jo joined new team. Yep. And he's changed East. teams. And so it's, it's a challenge for, it would be very easy for him to have that pull back off and just say, Hey guys, I'm sorry, this, this, this thing happened, but he fought through, tried valiantly to make it through. And I just think it's worth watching that 
um, the grit, the fight. Um, I've always been an Isaiah Harris fan, but now I am definitely an Isaiah Harris fan. Yeah, absolutely. That that was unfortunate, but um, you're right. It's I was cheering for him as well because I'm again I'm I'm a, f- a fanboy of Brooks Beast. You know, um, got to know him more through a Sit and Kick podcast. If you know those guys, that Josh Kerr and Dave Dave Ribich. And then Maki, you know, um, I got to know him too. That that's the coach, mm-hmm. and so I'm, um, you know, Brooks was not the company I would I would f- kind of choose follow, but but it really changed for me because those athletes and uh, Isaiah Harris joining the team, he, he kind of you know amplified that. So I um, I was I was it was sad to see, you know. Yeah, it was, and and I haven't seen any. I didn't. Unfortunately, didn't go back to check to see what's going on with him, but hopefully yeah. he's okay and he'll be able to have a great outdoor season because um, because we would love to see him uh, at the World Championships yeah. or, or at least standing on the finals, starting line of the final because the starting line of the final of the men's 800 meters, all the U.S. championships, the finals are going to be unbelievable cast of characters. We have no idea who's going to be representing the team in, in, in a way. This is, this, this is not typical. Um, usually there's a clear favorite, some kind of person that people we're looking at, but in almost every event, maybe outside of Grant Fisher, um, we, we've, we've got question marks about who's going to be in those top three positions. So, um, and then my last event was, uh, that I was just unbelievably excited about. For some reason I hung around, um, long enough to watch the end of the men's pole vault. And it, it, there's, been a fan of Mondo Duplantis is for a long time, and he's a he's a sweet. He competes for Sweden, but he grew up in Louisiana. Went, I don't even think he. I think he went pro immediately, right? Oh, he, he did one year. He went year at LSU. Yes, he went to LSU for one year, um, and then's now a pro. And he, you know, the 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 pole vault for the uninitiated is a little bit of a challenging watch because. It's hard to figure out what's going on, but let me just set the scene quickly. You've got this heavy, almost 20 foot long pole. Basically, I think it's 18, they're 18 feet long pole made out of fiberglass that you have to hold in your hands as you sprint like a 100 meter sprinter about 65, 70 meters down a runway. Then you have to take this, and they're sprinting very fast. These are uh, world-class sprinters. So they, the, the sprinters running in the high, the, the, the pole vault sprinters probably could make other Olympic teams <laughs> in, the, in the 100 meters. And they are running extremely fast, taking this 18-foot pole, putting it into a box that's basically five inches by five inches, six inches by six inches. And they're... Throw, putting the pole into the box and then throwing the entirety of their body weight into that box, basically trying to, as I've heard it described, they're trying to break their pole. So in order to get the power that they need to vault effectively, they've got to put, take all that speed going vertically down, going horizontally down the runway, placing the pole into this tiny little bikes box, throwing all of their weight into it, and then flipping, putting their head to the ground and their feet up ahead and they vault up and over this bar um having 
really good friends at the University of Texas who were pole vaulters and hearing their stories about it. There were a lot of times I wished I had been a pole vaulter because it just seems so cool. But the craziness of throwing your feet up over your head um, and anything other than gymnastics is just it's crazy. So um, anyway, Mondo had clearly won the event. He had gotten the gold medal, but he decided to go for the indoor world record. He had two misses. Uh, and in the final jump, all of the whole show was over. It's basically just the Mondo to play in the show. Nothing else is going on. The four by fours have finished and everything else. Everybody's there to watch it. He has some ugly tries at the two distance, at the two heights before it. They were not clean tries by any stretch. And in fact, it kind of looked like maybe he was just mailing it in. Um, but he gets over the bar. Again, not the most beautiful finish, but he gets over it. And that ex it's almost like when he comes down, the explosion that he has to get off of that off of that mat is pretty incredible. What happens with the high jump and the pole vault is if you are off the mat prior to the bar coming off of the standard, what's holding the bar up, you're con it's considered a clearance or a finish. So they, you will watch them anytime there's any question, they will get off of that mat as quickly as possible because if they're off the mat before it starts to come off of the uh, uprights, then they get a clearance of it. But he just exploded off of it. And at first I was like, he's trying to get off because he thinks he might've hit it. But then you realize he knew it was over. He had done it. And it was just, it was, I don't know. It, it's one of those things in our sport that you don't get to see very often where someone is just on top of their game and he just tore his shirt and just was so enthralled and excited and the crowd was there for him and you could feel that everybody was there for them it was just a really special moment and you know i i i chanced upon it i i didn't i just happened to have overrun the four by fours and saw that he was still jumping and i'm like well he's still jumping i should watch why would i not watch and then to see that was just so it's so exciting to me um to watch and see that performance and you know to me getting a chance to see history you know, I didn't see it live because I was rewinding it, but it was, it got to watch it to me as it happened. So I did not know whether he had cleared it or not cleared it before I watched it. So it was really cool. Absolutely. Mondo is something else. You know, to, to give a perspective, he, he jumped uh, 20 centimeters, so like over six, six inches higher than anyone, you know, the second competitor, which was American Chris Nielsen. Mm -hmm. um, but, <laughs> and also, you know, in pole vault, you choose when you try to when you start your competition, you know, uh, which height, because they start pretty low. So for Mondo, it's it's pretty low. So it's almost like when when there are like three guys maybe left, he's starting his, his competition. And, you know, it's it's in a way risky because, you know, um, uh, you know, you may not clear. So you may not, not clear at all and, and you're out, you're last place. But, you know, he uh, he's at this level that he's just... The, the lower the lower heights he just clears them so so you know in such a such a big clearance it's just unbelievable and i don't know he's he's so fun to watch and so and much, he's young so i mean he's 25 energy. 26 years no, old no even not even that yeah so yeah. he's so young and we're gonna see you know we're we're gonna see the record books continue to get rewritten yeah. as we go along and the one thing about mondo is he's definitely having fun so there's pressure there but he's playing and you, you can just feel it. You can sense it. You can, you can feel the energy when he does it. So, yeah, that was the World Championships. Um, well, if, if we – one more thing. Sure. Since we talk about the world record, there were two other world records. And, and again, uh, about Mondo, 
you have to see him. He's he's kind of looks like a gymnast spider. He's not super muscular, but he, he, his legs seem super long. But then, you know, and, and the same what stood up for me was, you know, another world record was in, in a women triple jump. I forgot her name, but her last name is Rojas. She's from Venezuela. And she is, again, when you see her, like, oh, she is the athlete, you know? Yeah. And she, again, she out jump everyone by, by, by huge mark. I, I don't know in inches she jumped like 15 meters 75 which is like you know I often tell my kids sometimes like look at her and then I and I and I and I walk through the room <laughs> measuring steps and say look she jumped from here to there and they're like not possible yeah like not possible right <laughs> she's a lot of fun to watch because she's exciting she's gets the crowd roaring gets the crowd excited she won the i think she won the gold medal at the olympics as well and she's a really exciting athlete to watch so um one other thing i wanted to talk about before we close up here t is that women's the the the, the this weekend um there was a half marathon i forget where it was at do you remember where it was at oh yeah big half New York City. New York City. No, was it? No, it wasn't New York City. I don't think oh, because that was, a week ago? That was two weeks ago. Oh. So this past weekend, um, I don't know exactly where Helen O'Berry was. Oh, she was running in Istanbul. Istanbul, but she ran this unbelievable half marathon. And if you if you look at the results, it won't look that impressive. Um, but she basically went through the five k. In this, she went out very, very, very fast. She went through the 5K in 1445, which basically is sub 60 minutes for a half marathon. Just for reference here, the women's world record is 64? No, no, it's 62 now. Oh, wow. Oh, that's right. Gide broke it last year. We have seen in the women's women's half marathon unbelievable drops in the world record. They've just been unbelievable how quickly they have happened. But for Helen O'Beary to have gone out that fast, I think she still ended up winning in 64 or something. So it's so really, really fast time. But um, I just, it, but what one thing I just wanted to note about that is it just saddened me too, because I read a little bit about it afterwards. And she's like, um, I'm not going to move up. I'm not going to go to the roads because I, I, I don't feel like I'm strong enough. And I just can't agree with her. I mean, if you can go out at fourteen forty-five, and and hold and hold that through, I mean, I think I don't remember what she think she went through ten k in uh, thirty fifteen or something like that. She say fell off pretty far, but still thirty fifteen is uh, break, um, breaking the American record in the ten thousand on the track, and she's going through that not even halfway of a half marathon. I just hope Helen Abiri comes back to the roads. If she's moving off of it, that's okay. Um, I also heard her saying that she moved to the roads because she wasn't capable of maybe being what that's level what she wanted to be. And I'm like, yeah, but she just ran 14.45 in the first 5K. I mean, okay, I don't think I can possibly impart to you how crazy fast it is to go out in 14.45 in a half marathon. It's psycho. I mean, and she paid for it dearly. She definitely exploded. I mean, she ended up in 64, almost 65 minutes when she could have, when she was on 60 minutes at the 5K. But um, I just wanted to mention that because I have been very impressed with Helen O'Beary over the years, her ability to win, her ability to get it done. She's always seemed like the consummate strategian. Like she was always about getting the strategy right. It's scary to think about her coming and running the 10K 
after that performance in the half. Whereas Sifan Hassan, when she moved to the half, they 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 lined that up right for her, and she was prepared for it. She wasn't. She was she was ready to go, and it just seemed like the way that race played out for um, for. Sifan Hassan, when she did that, I remember I remember watching that year and being like, okay, she's doing her first half, and she had not done the, beyond the 15, I believe, prior to that. And I was watching it very closely. And it, it she ran a measured, intelligent race. Helen O'Beary ran crazy, like psycho crazy. And to me, that's scary for everybody else. I'm just sorry. Helen O'Beary in the 10,000 is probably my favorite at this point now it's super early we have there's a lot of things to come at and in the 10 we won't get to see really how fit and ready people are prior to the world championships because they will run mostly shorter distance races maybe they'll run one 10k early to try to get a time or to try to get a place but almost everybody who's going to be a player at the 10,000 meters at the world level already has their qualifier so it's going to be curious what happens in that race. But I just wanted to mention that because number one, that split, I mean, 40, 14, 45 and 30, 15 is just smoking fast for the first half of a half marathon. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I love Helen O'Beary as well. And, you know, I, I, I would think roads are, are better for her. You know, she, she's great cross country runner. She's just loves the, the up, ups and downs and changing paces and, and uh, yeah, maybe she's not not as fast as Hassan, you know, kicking. But she's she won kick races too, you know. Well, she's beaten people in the big kick races because right. she knows how to kick. That's right. She's not a big kicker in the sense of having really fast finishing speed. Um, but especially if well, yeah, she doesn't really have that fast finishing speed, which is why she was in the three k and the five k pretty pretty quickly. Um, but she can beat people who are faster than her faster sprinters than she can't than she is and she's done it repeatedly by staying in front or holding people off so um watch out for helen O'Beary in the 10,000 world championships this year Yeah, and then you know what's what's also uh, you know she's supposed to be moving to the u.s and train with the with the on group in, in boulder right so th that i'm thinking wow that's that's exciting because that's gonna elevate u.s distance running you know all the other women in that group and then they probably attract more women to be in that group and you know who knows? We, we, we may see, uh, you know, um, crazy times. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been an ongoing theme for us is the rise of American distance running over the last, uh, since post-pandemic, and we'll probably continue to be banging that drum. If you're not a fan of track and field, why are you listening to this? But maybe you found us late. If you did find us late, hang on. It's going to be a crazy ride. There's a lot of great track and field coming up as T's talked about. We've got Mount Sac this coming weekend, which is the first time, I mean, Stanford, Stanford. Was this coming weekend where everybody's going to try to run really, really, really fast. You'll see a lot of the elites coming out. Oh, there's one more thing we wanted to talk about. You mentioned that you wanted to ask a question about why people get qualifying standards at the U S championships. Um, Go to the U.S. Championships in order to secure. Well, why don't you ask your question? Why am I leading? No, yeah, I'm, I was, you know, you would see, like, you know, that 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 race we talk about, Grand Fisher running uh, a 5K indoor, you know, um, at Boston, and 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 they said, oh, they they going for the U.S. You know, they going for the American record, but then the main goal is to to hit the qualifier for the outdoor championships. And I'm thinking, like, why are they running indoor? you know track 
for outdoor like why does that count it's just a different different thing but and then another problem is i have and and what i hear also people have uh, is is how to make track more popular and is this you know when when the big 10 happened right big 10 was this 10k setup meet weekend where where they broke american record and in in boston josh kerr was running a british record for the mile and in chicago cooper tier and uh, hawker were running for the mile u.s record and you were like and then maybe there was a meet in spokane i don't know which weekend but anyway there was this one weekend when there was just three different things happening in u.s right and you were like wait a second why are they not like competing one another right like why are they just setting up those those races and it's so hard to to even tune into them because you have to have a flow track subscription pickup subscription pay-per-view subscription <laughs> so it's like man that that's just complicated and then the u.s champs happen and then some people are like no we're not going to the world championships because we uh we're just gonna do the time trial and try to uh set this 5k you know that's i'm talking about cole hawker and and again and uh, cooper tier that just run when world championships were happening they run 5k time trial like 13 or 6 something you know to 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 hit the standard and and it, you're like okay so you were racing by why didn't you go to world championships right cole hawker you you could maybe compete with Barrega. So all those things is just kind of, what do you think about Steve? Well, I understand why they're doing what they're doing because they're looking at a command performance and that, that I understand and get. And especially as a coach, you've only got so many bullets in a season that you can fire. You want to fire them intelligently. And there's some kind of plan that the coach has Distance coaches have a tendency to really under-race their athletes, and especially the longer the distance it is. 800 and 1500, not really so much, but once you get to the 5K and the 10K, you're, you're looking at less racing. And I do think with both Cole Hawker and Cooper Tier, you're looking at 1500-meter runners who are also going to be world-class also world-class 5,000 meters. So you've got that plan of how they adjust, how many races they can run, how they plan that all out. So I think command performance is a part of it. Number two, I, I truly believe this. Um, it's not the athlete's job to make track and field successful. It's USATF's job to make track and field successful. So if you're going to get grumpy, get grumpy at USATF. I mean, let's look at what Uganda did recently. Uganda this past weekend, scarily for a second, it was really scary. They made I, I saw a post on Let's Run basically saying that Chep, Joshua Cheptegei and Kiplimo. and um, Kiplimo were dis, were and 64 other athletes were not allowed to compete for Uganda because they had not competed at their national championships. So. When you see that, turns out it was not Joshua Cheptegei or um, Jacob Kiplimo. They were not involved in it. There were other people whose names had those same last names. So, um, but anyway, the the those federations choose to highlight the fan aspect of their sport in their country to try to get probably money out of it, and it's not the athlete's job to do that now. How do they select and what do they do from a selection? You know, in the United States, we select through top three at the world, at the national championships. And so this goes back to what those athletes need to do. They need to be ready for that prelim final at the U.S. level and then the prelim, multiple prelim finals at the world championship level. It's a lot of racing and their coaches have a plan for them. So I, I agree with those. Those are my two main points to make. 
But I do think that the athletes do have a responsibility to communicating the storyline, the through line of their plans to the general public if they want the general public to give a shit. There are athletes out there that, that, that give no shits. None. They do not care. They're not worried about that. Most of the athletes in Jerry's group adopt the athlete attitude of their coach. He does not care about anything except for world titles. That's all he's going for. He wants an Olympic gold medal. He wants a world championship gold medal. That is what his objective is as a outdoors. coach. Outdoors. 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 That's his objective. And so from his perspective, he's got to plan, protect, and adjust, and, and make things work accordingly to get them ready to go. So I appreciate that. But I do think that Grant Fisher... Um, Cooper Tier, um, these guys, they if they're if they're going to continue to do that thing, because we see it mostly with the men. If you notice, the women don't do it so much. Um, not sure why that is, but the men, maybe it's the coaches gaming it, everything, the gamification of it. I don't know, but it it is frustrating. But I think what would make it a lot better is if the athletes could give a through line for why that's happening. If we could hear the story of what they're planning or how they're planning it. And again, most, it seems like from what I understand, I'm not, I don't listen to pod, running podcasts at all, at all. You do spend a lot more time. There are a lot of athletes talking a lot about their racing. Um, so there's, you know, that, if they have the ability and the platforms with which to share and they've got social their own social media feeds they've got podcasts they've got video shows they've got all kinds of places where they can raise their level and it's a missed opportunity so i'm i'm with you there in that level of frustration but i don't personally i think that usatf needs to get their arms around this thing and they need to try to find a way to get the us we now have um We've, we now have a full package to sell to the American people in track and field. We've got unbelievable sprints like we've always had. We've got distance runners who are now got a chance to compete. When we saw Emma Coburn win the Nash, the world championships a couple years ago in the steeplechase, she, she was all over, for one day she was all over you know, uh, Sports Illustrated, she was all over ESPN and all those things. We need more and more and more of those opportunities. Um, and we now have the distance runners that can do it. On top of it, we've got an unbelievable, but unbelievably exciting field events. We've always had great jumpers, um, long jumpers, triple jumpers, high jumpers in the United States. Um, but now even the vault, the throws, we've got the greatest thrower. I mean, the, the most multifaceted thrower in the history of the throws. He can throw the shot. He can show the discus. He, could, he probably could throw the hammer. He doesn't throw the hammer, but he probably could. You know, Texas Longhorn from Oregon, who basically, he's, he got beat at the World Championships this year out of a crazy throw that, I don't know. Did you see that? I did. I did. That throw. And I think that was exciting. You it know? was so exciting. It makes, it makes sports so exciting. But uh, that's what I'm saying about these events. Like his name. They Ryan can Crosen. be. Ryan Crosser. These events can be exciting. That's right. They absolutely can. The pole vault at the world, at the world indoor championships, the entire crowd stayed to watch him take his jumps in his final jump, hoping for some kind of excitement. It's like lightning in a bottle. And track and field has it like a circus all the way around. It is time for USATF to step up and make a project, to make a product, to create a product that people can consume effectively. It is not the responsibility of the shoe companies. It is not the responsibility of small 
like like Jesse Williams at on like um, the American track and field series that goes on during the summer. Sometimes um, those guys, it's not their responsibility to make it that level. It is USATFs and they're the ones missing the money. There's much more money for them. The problem is, is for some reason, it seems like Nike wants to keep it down. It doesn't make sense to me. I'm not sure if Nike, Nike could benefit much more from having a, having a Cole Hawker um, who looks to me to be somebody who could be a Prefontaine, not exactly the same kind of rebel attitude that Prefontaine, but more your surfer, slacker days ago, surfer, cool guy, kind of like what we had um, with Evan Yeager when he was first coming out. But it seems like Cole Hawker's got a little more, um, he, he's a little more, he's a little more, got a little more pizzazz when it comes to actually um hearing his interviews and he's 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 cagey but he's also a little combative and there's a lot of things there that will make him an interesting interview so we've got the opportunity here to take track and field to the next level we've got stars all across the board it used to be maybe the distance runners were not carrying their weight but they're carrying their weight now the throws are better than we've ever seen before um each one of those throws these stories need to be told of these different disciplines we need to hear the storyline that's going on you know when you go to a a, a a museum you can put the headphones on and you can get a curated tour of the event and i think if each one of people's tickets gave them an access point to or if ongoing while you were watching it you could get a live feed in your headphones you could choose to hear the storyline that's going on throughout the entirety of the event number one we've got great storytellers who know these events really really well who can frame them if you've ever listened to trey hardy talk through what's going on in a field event you know you're getting it if you ever hear um the sprint coach, uh, Otto Bolden, Otto talking the 100 meters, the 200 meters. I have never been a bigger fan of the sprints than I have since Otto Bolden has been doing commentating. We have the ability to create a really, really amazing package in the United States. We're not even looking to go outside of the United States. And why can't the USATF do it? Where is this failure of leadership? I've heard that... Um, Phil Knight at Nike has commissioned a, a small group, exploratory group, to try to figure out how to change track and field, and that he may, not with Nike's money, but with his own money, of course made from Nike, but with his own money, to fund some kind of final stab that he would take as a influencer of track and field over the years, of which, whether you love him or you hate him, he definitely is the key influencer. He's the highest He's the highest practitioner in the game, and he is the he is the guy. And if he's commissioning, um, spending millions of dollars to try to figure out how to fix track and field, it makes me feel more comfortable and makes me feel excited to see what he might put out there. I understand there are ethical concerns or some other concerns. My feeling is, you know what, guys? We've got this one limited chance. I don't know. Maybe it's not one, but it seems like... These things happen this way, serendipitous moments, the things all coming in together all at one time, going into a world championship, then a down year, and then we've got the next Olympic Games. Hopefully we don't have any COVID or pandemic. I think in 2024, we could have some compelling stories to tell from the marathon all the way down to the 100 meters with all of the throws, all of the jumps we could put together in the US. The USATF could put together an amazing package. They need to do this. It needs to happen. And hopefully 
what we're going to see from Phil Knight, whenever that, whatever that comes out, hopefully it's going to come out relatively soon. It would be great to see what's going to happen. But it's all right there right now. We, they just need to happen. It makes perfect sense, Steve. Thank you for explaining. I, I, yeah, I agree 100%. So. And uh, yeah, I haven't heard that about uh, uh, Phil Knight. So that's, that's exciting. And um, yeah, like you said, everything li li lining up pretty, pretty good. We just have to you know, um, do our part and talk about it. <laughs> yep, that's what we'll do. And hopefully you guys, will, you guys will come and listen to us. So we'll meet again. I don't know if we'll meet next week. We may wait two weeks since we've got um, Stanford and not much else before then. But well, the, ma the marathon season starting. Paris Marathon is happening. Uh, our, you know, uh, Ellie Kiefer is running. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, uh, local girl. Yeah. yeah. So it should be exciting. Um, yeah, and um, we do have Boston coming up soon. We have... Uh, Rotterdam, Rotterdam, which so, is always super fast. Yeah. So we've got stuff to cover and we'll keep coming at you. As you can tell, this will be our third episode and every week or two weeks we'll be coming at you whenever we get a chance to get together. We're having fun. Tomika, you having fun? Absolutely. Yeah, I'm having fun too. So hopefully you'll keep coming along for the ride. And uh, if you've got anything you want to we are now on um, iTunes and all of your local uh, places you find your podcasts. If you'd like to Say you like us, do it. We don't really care one way or the other. We're going to keep coming at you no matter what. But it does help other people find it if you find it interesting. So you could either um, give it a give it some stars um, or uh, give it your words. Tell people how you feel about it. We're, we're expecting we're going to need to do 25 or 30 of these episodes before um, we deserve your praise or criticism. But um, we're, we're excited about this and we're having fun with it. So... We will talk to you guys again in a couple of weeks. Um, thanks for listening to this episode of Fanboys. Bye.